listening to Smoke Meat. I'm your host, Brad Pittman. Smoke Meat is brought to you by Joe's Underground at the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia. Come on down there in the bottom of the Lamar building. Jeremy and the gang make sure you feel like family from the first time you walk in the joint. Such a great place. You're going to love it. Uh, just come on down. Enjoy. Have a good drink. And just meet everybody. Like I say, you'll feel like it's home for the first time to every time that you go in there. Ask Joe's Underground, the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia, in the bottom of the Lamar building. I go to Joe's and so should you. Yeah, today my guest is Fabrizio Grazzi, wonderful bass player, wonderful guy. He has got a couple of projects going on right now that are just amazing. Uh, got his band Soul Garage Experience and Supersonic Pollution Machine. That's who you hear in the background. Yes, that is Billy F. Gibbons singing. The song is Running Whiskey. And Fabrizio helped co-write this song with Billy. And, man, they do such a great job. He is such an awesome guy. You're going to love this interview. So I'll shut my cake hole and we'll just get to it. Hey, how you doing today, Fabrizio? Hey, no bad. Brad, thank you. How's it going over there? Oh, it's going great, man. It's going great. Beautiful day. Just having a great time. Excellent, excellent. Well, I can't complain either. We're just waking up here in California, and the uh, sun is high, and the heat is already striking. <laughs> so we're getting ready for another sweaty day. It's so good this summer, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for summer, summer, but I'm ready for nice spring weather. A little bit cool, but not hot. <laughs> well, we skipped uh, spring this year in California, believe it or not. It's been up till the end of April. Uh, I live like 20 miles north of Hollywood, and it's been miserable. Rain, I mean, which is actually good because we need it, mm-hmm. but, you know, not every day. Yeah. <laughs> and it was freezing. And so basically we went from like an average of, you know, 40, 45, 37, mm-hmm. and, you know, I wake up in the morning to straight into the 100 or 90s, you know, in, in May. It was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here in Georgia, we have two seasons. We have summer and January 14th. That's pretty much our two seasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I've been excited about this interview coming up, you know, because I know you do a lot of bass. That's your main thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. I've, I've tried to play the guitar. I wasn't very good with it. And I, I, I looked at the bass. I'm like, four strings. I can do four strings with no problem at all. Yeah, bass is not clear, nearly as easy as it looks. And listening well, you to you play, you've got it. You know what, though? Uh, it's funny that you said that because that's actually exactly what happened to me. Um, I I grew up in Milan, in Italy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of uh, elementary school, which is like you know, fifth grade, uh, a bunch of friends of mine uh, were starting to, you know, pick up instruments and majority were guitars for the following three years like junior high i had to go and live with my aunt outside milan because my my you know biological mother uh, passed away and my father alone couldn't really keep up with me and the school you know and his work and everything so my aunt and my family um, helped and i was living with them for three years so basically i was separated from my you know elementary school friends so by the time i went back for high school they were all playing you know, they were all, you know, already like they already had three years into it. And uh, during uh, junior high, my uncle wanted me to learn how to play piano. 
Um, and back then, I didn't want to hear it. I mean, if I can go back, I, I, I wish I could go back and change it, but, you know, unfortunately, you can't. And of course, I wanted to play guitar because I didn't think that the piano either looked good or was like, you know, it was my thing. So I ended up in not doing anything. So by the time I got back to Milan, my friends were already advanced in their playing. And but obviously, we were still my friends. So we wanted to uh, spend time together and everything. And I ended up in getting this guitar. And I, I really sucked at it. I mean, suck, it's like an understatement. Okay? <laughs> um, and we already had like uh, three guitar players in the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my friends, probably the closest one, told me, you know what? We love you, but you know, your guitar playing ain't cutting it. You should play bass. And I'm like, what's bass? <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like a guitar, but it's got four strings. I'm like, four? It's like less than six. Yeah, maybe I can handle that. And actually, then within a couple of years, I was playing with every other band around, and a lot of my friends were giving up already. So I guess, you know, that uh, transition actually was uh, what really gave me the spark for my music career. <laughs> so, But I hear you. You know, that was actually the appeal of less strings and less... Uh, uh, fingers to worry about when you're putting together chords. Uh, then I figure out later that you don't play chords on bass. Actually, you can, but it's not the primary things that people want from you when you play bass. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess that was like uh, a <laughs> lifesaver as a musician. At least. Yeah, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm glad you picked it up because just listening to some of the stuff you've done is just awesome. Uh, like I told you, oh, whenever great, you were, you. when, when you, you called me, I was listening to Running Whiskey. You know, with the um, supersonic <laughs> blues machine. And I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. Oh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and some of the people you've played with, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this list, I'm like, good God. You know, I I would love to just see some of these people. And he's just made music with them. They've, they've got together and shared that. And, you know, yeah, I mean, well, uh, the thing is, uh, when, I, when I moved to the States in 1990, uh, uh, I went to New York. Uh, I had some distant family there, and I ju- joined. I mean, I was already playing in Italy with a lot of other bands, and you know, with some artists too. You know, uh, some famous artists as well. But it wasn't really my thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm into rock, blues, soul, R&B. Back then, obviously, the music was a little bit different, but I always had that kind of like uh, blues tendency. You know, blues and soul, R&B, old school funk, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I got to New York, I was playing uh, with a band. It was very, very technical, progressive type of thing. But um, when uh, after four years, I had a chance to move to Los Angeles, and that's where I started. I, I always, throughout these years, I was very interested in production, because even when I was in Italy, uh, back then, obviously, music was different, and uh, I always listened to American records and English records. And you know, even when you had like your little band uh, and you wanted to go and record a demo, you talk to the, the studio owner, <laughs> the engineer, whatever it is. Okay, we want something like this, and they completely went the opposite. So I kind of like forced to learn a few things myself to be able to get at least closer to what I wanted or what it was in my head, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sound-wise. And so I've always been very attentive with the production. And even in New York, with a guitar player in my band back then, we kind of like had our little studio uh, in the band house mm-hmm. in Long Island. And uh, we started to record not only our stuff, but also all of our friends and local bands and stuff like that. So that got me an additional kick. And when I came to Los Angeles, um, that kind of... Become became almost like a necessity because I started to work with a, a bunch of other artists from Europe and stuff. They were coming here uh, and everything. And 
but obviously that's where you know I started to play with Ina Hagen, with Steve Vai and Steve Lukather. They helped me tremendously with this thing, and obviously I learned a lot of stuff. And I guess uh, the, the proximity with these kind of guitar players kind of like made me the guitar guy, even though I'm not, I was not a guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in kind of like developing my own niche in you know how to track and work with guitars and all of that. And for some reason, I always find myself um, hanging with these kind of dudes. Uh, most of these people, and you know, funny because a lot of these guys were like my idol, uh, or you know, I, I, I guess you can say idol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and they really got me close to other uh, friends, uh, other people, other musicians, and uh, idols that then later became my friends. The thing with uh, with Supersonic Blues Machine is just actually, it's um, a result of all this because uh, the band started like five years ago, but. Uh, I guess the seed of the band was like planted about 10 years ago mm-hmm. when um, I was touring with a side band of Steve Lukather of uh, total fame and and about 1,800 other major famous artists from Boss Gags to Alice Cooper to Barbara Streisand to uh, Steve and to everyone possibly. I think everybody knows Steve Lukather. And um, Steve and I have been friends since my early days in Los Angeles because I, you know, I hired him uh, on a bunch of different Italian recordings uh, uh, from some artists that were coming here to record. We, we became friends and um, we did a bunch of things together. And I had an opportunity from a promoter friend of ours in Europe uh, to do a, a run of shows. They were interested in getting Steve to perform at this like, music, kind of like a fair event, like expo type of stuff. right? Mm-hmm. And I asked Steve, hey, uh, you have your solo band, whatever it is. Do you want to do this thing? I mean, I know that you're going to be home in those time. In those I mean, I'm going to be writing that record. but And Steve was like, dude, you know what? We always do this thing. We always play here and there. Sometimes, uh, you know, locally we all do the recording, but we never really get to take, you know, to get on the plane and just go out and play and stay out for a while, you know, you and I. So why don't we do that? Why don't this time, why don't you join me? And uh, and I was like, well, that's that's fantastic. And we had uh, Steve Wengert, who's actually a, a phenomenal uh, keyboard player that actually happened to happen happens to be his musical director in his solo band. And when he came down to drummer, because I always been picky with drummers, because for me, a band uh, sounds as good as your drummer. Yeah. I don't care who's who else is in the band. If the drummer doesn't cut it, you can have Jimi Hendrix and Leslie West on the same stage. He ain't, he ain't working. I'm sorry. Um, and I asked Steve, hey, you know what? Of all the people that we work with, there's always somebody that I always wanted to work with, and I never really had the chance. You know, for do you know Kenny Aronoff? And Steve's like, oh, dude, he's one of my oldest friends. Absolutely, let's call Kenny. Let's see what he's doing around that time. So he called Kenny. We got together after a couple of hours, and we became super close friends since then. And uh, we ended up in, in touring and playing. Uh, that was like a very, very interesting band because we were doing all the uh, 70s, rock uh, fusion we're playing from hendrix to some miles davis to jack back uh, james gang and all that kind of stuff uh very uh, and some other like obscure fusion things but obviously more with a, no one of us maybe steve wanger but no one of us is you know is a jazz guy yeah. you know and kind of like fake our way through it i mean luke obviously can do everything he wants but me i definitely ain't no jazz dude <laughs> this way. and um so when we got back, uh, we were like, uh, Steve uh, started to get actually uh, on my pressure to get busy again with Toto because that was kind of like a time where you know Toto was a little on the shelf, mm-hmm. uh, and um, 
you know, we're kind of like, uh, we find ourselves uh, without a gig. Oh, without a gig. And it's not really without a gig, but, you know, she's like, okay, God knows now when it's going to happen that we go out again with uh, with Steve and to do this kind of stuff. And Kenny and I wanted to continue that kind of experience because it was actually really cool to have that kind of like jamming type of situation with this kind of player. So uh, I landed a couple of uh, very interesting production gigs. I produced uh, Leslie West uh, return record. Uh, I mean, I got him a deal and we got a bunch of friends together, Giovanna Massa and Flash and Zach Wilde mm-hmm. uh, to play on it. And I hired Kenny to do it. And I was working with a bunch of other bands, a lot of uh, Eastern European artists. Uh, it's like a big, big Russian band from St. Petersburg. Um, it's like one of the top bands uh, in Russian rock. And we ended up in doing Two records. So Kenny and I uh, worked a lot together, and mm-hmm. we're constantly looking out to do, to repeat the uh, Goodfellas experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, till a moment that was, I think, uh, yeah, it was uh, 2015. Uh, Billy uh, calls me when we were already friends, and we already worked on a few different things together. Mm-hmm. Billy calls me and says, "Like, hey man, um, I have a commercial." that ZZ Top has been hired to be part of it uh, for this Texas whiskey. I won't mention the brand, obviously. Yeah. And um, and we cannot, they can, the, the director wants to use one song, you know, from our upcoming record that was like out of La Futura, their latest uh, studio record. They cannot clear it because there's like four different publishers in there and it's just like a mess. Nobody can, you know, get in agreement on on, uh, on on everything. So I wanted to write a new song that probably is even more appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, fuck, can I come over? I mean, who's going to turn down Billy Gibbons? To, yeah. You know, write a song? It's a Billy, come over. So he came over, and actually the song that you were mentioning earlier uh, pretty much was, you know, written. Um, and um, by the time we kind of like lay down these... Uh, you know, scratch tracks and all of that. Uh, just so the idea, Billy's management calls us and it's like, hey guys, have a good and a bad news. Um, the bad news, for you at least guys, is that uh, the director was able to clear uh, the original song that they wanted to use out of the ZZ Top record. Mm-hmm. So we won't have any use for the stuff that you guys are doing now. However, and here's the good news, uh, because, you know, everybody recognized the work and the time that you guys put in and into it and we feel bad about it. Um, this one is on us, meaning you guys do whatever you want with this, no strings attached, record company's not going to interfere, Billy can do whatever he wants with it, and blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at Billy, and I'm like, dude, I think this sounds way too cool to let it go and just to be like a one-off. But back then, it was not like today mm-hmm. that, I mean, sure, there were already the streaming and all of that, but it was not like uh, the single-oriented uh, mentality or, you know, the Spotify things that we launched. It was not that. I was still thinking in terms of record, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for blues rock or rock music and uh, I, you know, I asked Billy what do you think and I'm going to give you my best gibbons okay Okay. I mean he was stroking his, he was stroking his beer and he goes like well uh, you got one down uh, write nine more and start a band <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually I was like uh, what about you and he says like well when I'm not too busy with my daily job you mean he's easy to up, I'll mm-hmm. join in too and I said, well, I think I got the right drummer. So I ended up calling Kenny immediately, and I said, hey, I'm sending you an MP3. And Kenny calls me back immediately. He's like, dude, is that Gibbon singing? I said, yes, we just saw these songs and stuff like that. We got this idea, and, and she's like, oh, are you guys killed it too? Yes, just stay there. I'll bring the drums. So he arrives with his drum set and his deck. They set up the whole thing, and that night the whole thing was re-recorded, complete, finished, and done. And... Uh, 
that's what started Super Sign Machine, pretty much. Oh man, that is such a great story, you know. And you know, I'm actually interviewing Kenny next week, and I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to that one too. Oh yeah. Oh well, he's my. Funny enough, now he's my next door neighbor. Uh, uh, his studio is next to mine, actually. Um, we have a, we're in this facility in North Hollywood and um, bef- when we were doing all those recordings actually uh, my studio was up here where I live I live in Santa Clarita which is again like 20-25 miles north of Hollywood and um, I didn't want to stay here no more because uh, it was getting a little bit complicated with the traffic and all of that and I had musicians coming in it's just like a long commuter so I wanted to be closer to the city and Kenny told me that the room next door to him was opening up. Uh, Friedman, the famous uh, guitar uh, uh, guitar amplification monster uh, and guru, was moving out of that. That was like his personal lab. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, the and he set up for a studio because they have a control room and all of that. It was cool. I dropped down and I knew already the, the owner of the building and all of it. And we made a deal. And I've been there for the last uh, um, four years, five years? Now? Yeah, four years, pretty much. So <laughs> I'm actually going to see Kenny tomorrow. Nice. I'll yeah. tell him. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, tell him it's the best interview you've ever had. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, I, I can understand, you know, getting in a studio that you like and you're comfortable in. You know, I'm, I record out of my basement down here. It's kind of my safe space. And, and uh, uh-huh. I, am, I am what they call a gear whore because right now I'm recording on a little four-channel board that I think it cost me 79 bucks, and I've got – actually got stage lights set up down here i can i can half the time i'm sitting down here with purple light all over me just strobing real lightly you know and stuff like that but i've actually just ordered a new board i'm excited to get it it'll be here saturday and i get to play with it some but i love love doing any kind of production like that because it's just you're you're helping improve and and do you know help somebody do what they do and it's so awesome because oh, beautiful. And, and now and now the technology is just so advanced that to be honest with you i mean a lot of the things that are out there and then you see in the major recording studio to be honest with you right now are just uh uh what do you call it um uh i cannot find the word now accessories yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. i mean uh, if you think about it you know what it would take back then like probably like 10 years ago or 20 years ago to create something and now it's just like, you know, wow. I mean, I can, I, I can, I remember one of the first, uh, uh, with, uh, with my band in Italy, a band that I had uh, before I moved to the States, we had a deal with Sony. And actually that was my favorite because Sony sent us to Canada a few times and mm. upstate uh, New York to play with uh, um, American bands. So to get a little bit more, you know, um, I would say closer to the English language. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember in those days, <laughs> we were on one track. We wanted to have the the reverse snare sound, like uh, uh, like a scorpions in uh, Rocky, like a, a hurricane. Yeah. And not that, but we were recording on tape, so I remember that we wasted like two hours in flipping the tape around, record the snare, and feed it to the reverb that was recorded, and then to flip the whole thing around again. And right now, I'll do that in about five seconds on my Pro Tools by flipping the track. It, it's just insane. It, it, the old, I mean, I mean, this is just like, a, it's like, a, these are little tricks, but you know, even the gear itself is just way more solid. I mean, there's still some, uh, uh, you know, uh, very, uh, obviously the sound, I mean, there's, you know, some, some of the old like Neve boards and API they have an amazing sound. Unfortunately though, a lot of those uh, machines 
were like really fragile. Yeah. Uh, like Neves, for example. I mean, for me, it was the best probably. 1076, probably the best preamp ever made. However, one of the original ones, if you had the original ones from the 70s, mm -hmm. And no wonder why those boards were in studios where they had an in-house technician. Because, you know, chances are that it needed to be fixed once a month. Yeah. Uh, so if you have one of those things right now, I mean, either you send it to one of those, like, super techs that they really kind of, like, they resuscitate these gears. And they, you know, uh, use a probably a more, not necessarily modern component, but the way they're assembled, the way they're fixed in a more contemporary way, and they last longer and they're more reliable. But they're out there right now. There are even copies of perfect replica of uh, some of these gear that are just, you know, insane. They, they basically give you that um, type of sound with the reliability of, uh, you know, today's components and, you know, and technology. And also the, on the digital aspect too. I mean, I remember the early... Uh, digital recorders. I mean, I remember with my my guitar player in New York when we had our band studio with a you know the band's house. Mm -hmm. uh, one of his best friend was a uh, a programmer, and he actually was working for several different companies that were developing this thing. The back that was like uh, you know Pro Tools. It was not called Pro Tools yet, but that was you know what they were working on it. Mm -hmm. And I remember that we had eight track like a uh, uh, on these old. I don't even remember the type of computer. But it was like, you know, those things that you, <laughs> you yeah. see now in uh, in the 70s movies uh, with like a, the, the black screen and the green writing dots, like almost like a, yep. a, a home uh, Batman type of it. And, and I remember that that recording was awful. The sound was awful. I mean, it was like 8-bit or 10-bit or whatever it is. I mean, we're already thinking, oh, that's great. Well, the only thing that was great, it was just there was like a MIDI, you know, capacity of being connected SMPT to a, a real recording. So we could use that to record, for example, uh, BV, groups of BV vocals or something like that and move mm -hmm. them around kind of like as a sampler because yeah. obviously that was made things simple. But the quality of the recording, I mean, it was awful. There was no way they would have recorded guitars or bass or something like that onto that thing because it's just like, it, just, it sounded like it was missing something. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm sorry. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you use Logic Pro Tools or anything like that. I mean, even the consumer's interface is like $200 and you plug your guitars into it and you're recording on your laptop. I mean, the quality of the recording is just so out there that it's like you cannot tell the difference. Yeah, you, know you, how you, tell the dif you know how you tell the difference? How? The player. Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I mean, I'm, I'm using Audacity. It's free and it's got so many different things to it i mean i've got experience with production and all that i'm looking at this thing and i'm like man it's got stuff i never had and it was <laughs> it was free and the price of stuff nowadays is ridiculously low i mean the mics i'm using for this um made by a company out of australia called road and i use what they call the road pod mic and it's a, a dynamic mic it's got the shock mount built into the mic it's got the pop filter built in and it was 99 mm -hmm. bucks and wow. I, I would put it up against the $1,000 mics I used to use on the radio. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, yeah well, uh, I work uh, with a company um, that they endorse for microphones. It's a German company um, called Lewitt. They make incredible microphones. Kenny, too, uses a lot of their microphones, and we use it on the road. I use it in the studio and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing, uh, really, the technology and the sound out of some of these microphones. I mean, of course, this is not necessarily, I would say, a consumer company they don't make like sorry, consumer product even though a lot of their stuff is very very accessible but even one of their you know good um vocal studio microphones like tube 
uh, they're like probably a third of what a, uh, a Neumann will cost, what a telephone thing will cost. Yeah. And they're like just as good, if not better. So, I mean, like everything else, you know, it's just, I guess, technology and the, the progress, you know, uh, does make a difference. But, you know, again, we're going back to the player and to the singer and to the musicians. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm coming from the George Martin school. I mean, I understand that back then when the Beatles were recording, they were using the top technology available at the time. However, compared to even 20 years ago, that top technology of then, like four track, I mean, people like 20 years ago were already freaking out because they only had 48 tracks to record with. So going back in like four, four tracks, but you know what? Uh, George Martin always said something really important for me, which was uh, I'm more concerned about what gets recorded and how he gets recorded. And um, I think that's a fundamental truth. That's why you got songs right now that are still like, if you listen to some of the old Robert Johnsons, probably production-wise are uh, whatever it is, but it's the magic of the performance and the player that makes the difference. So I think, and I really hope a lot of uh, younger talented musicians are kind of like, don't forget about that. In spite of all the technology and all the wizardry that they're learning on online tutorial and YouTube and all of that. You can learn how to do everything uh, mm -hmm. right now. But, you know, like we said, you know, not because I'm running a, it's not that I'm running a studio because the studio is just from my own productions. It's not open to the public. It's not one of those places where people can come and book hours, mm -hmm. you know. But what I'm saying is, uh, whether it's, and I'm not trying to just promote my business, but everyone that does what I do, I think they're a fundamental uh, figure in the recording chain. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure, you can do a record at home, and a lot of uh, young bands or independent artists are doing that. But just because you can, it doesn't mean you should. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, um, it, there's a lot of uh, stuff that gets released every month, like thousands of thousands of things that just create so much clutter. I mean, and I understand people can tell me, hey, what the hell are you to tell me? Um, that you know we shouldn't be recording there is freedom if we want to record sure absolutely you can i'm not saying that yeah. uh but what i'm saying is uh you can tell them the difference when a record is done for real and uh, when something is just homemade and not because it's made at home it doesn't have nothing to do with the logistic or the geographical location of where you do the recording but with you what you actually do uh how prepared you are when you go in i mean there's a few things that are very important that's why i always suggest even um musicians that they wanted to have their own set up at home because maybe they do exchange of files over the internet around the world because that's a very common practice to do today so listen i understand that you want to spend money for your to have the, the top preamp or the top di or the great uh, guitar the converter and all of that how about you invest 200 dollars with a kick-ass engineer that comes to your house helps to set it up and if you're a guitar player it shows you once and for all how the hell you record a proper guitar because that would be the best investment that you could have. Otherwise, it's like giving my, you know, 16 years old uh, nephew uh, a Ferrari Testarossa and pretending to drive around like Mario Andretti just because he's driving the same car. You know, yeah. it, it, it cannot happen. Yeah. You know? yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, and with production, it takes, it takes skill and it takes talent. It's not, like I say, it's not all gear. It's knowing how to use what you got and, and having that instinct also, because it's, it's not something everybody also, can do. No, but it's a, it's a combination of things and everything. And I think sometimes uh, when you work on a record or a song, all of that, it's always good to have somebody that you trust mm -hmm. uh, to give you an external, an out, not external, but an outsider, or maybe like a not 
and more you know like a uh, a no strings attached type of comment or input. Yeah, that's very very important because when you spend too much time on your own, uh, then you tend to get everything to sound the same. You know, and even now, I mean, after all the after all the recording that I'm doing, after all the recording that I'm um, that I did, there's a lot of things that I, when I'm doing, you know, when it's like full on me. Mm-hmm. I still take some time, time uh, in, in between things. Um, you know, um, I just let it go for a second. I just play it for some friends. There's a few things here and there, like to just go back and rechange it because you know it's not. You know, at the end of the day, the best music is the music that it's interaction with everybody. Yeah. And uh, and you already can save something that you handle. I mean, and lucky lucky for me, uh, for the type of music that I generally deal with. Uh, it requires for the majority of having real musicians, you know. Sure, I do a lot of stuff with uh, uh, loops and programs uh, and, you know, drum machines and all of that, uh, programmed and uh, sound design in a particular way uh, because that's what the song or the composition or the soundtrack requires. Mm-hmm. But for the majority, um, um, the music that I work on requires the performance of live musicians. And that already brings... Uh, more of a realistic and fresher take to the overall thing. But I'm thinking about sometimes some of the kids uh, or young musicians, they are in their bedroom and they do everything themselves. I mean, if you do dance music, it's one thing, but if you do rock music, blues, soul, anything like that, and you do everything, everything yourself, I'm sorry, even Prince, that was one of those guys that could do everything, at the beginning wasn't doing everything by himself because there's just always like a learning curve that curve that you cannot... Uh, um, expect to have uh, in, in in everything. Maybe you are like a super talented as a musician, and you can easily sit behind the drums and then switch to the guitar and start to sing a song, and you already have great timing, great pocket, with super pitch, and all of that. But there is something that comes with experience, not only yours, but the one of the people uh, that are working with you, mm-hmm. that are collaborating with you, that you learn from. You know, every single time that you sit down, whether it's just to play a song, whether to jam, or whether just to talk about something. Uh, that is just fundamental in the creation of all this, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really hope that that doesn't go out of style like a lot of other things in our business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Well, I tell you, man, I've had a ball sitting here today, and you know, you're welcome on here anytime. Anytime you release anything new, let me know, and I will promote it because well, actually, I'm a fan. Thank you. Well, then, uh, since uh, since you're a, a music lover and stuff, actually, I have uh, two things if you don't mind me before. You say hi to you and uh, to your listeners. Um, two very important things uh, at heart. One, okay. it's actually my new project. Actually, I'm I'm in the midst of finishing the new Supersonic Blues Machine record. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first studio record that we do. It's our third studio record, but it's the first one that we do with our first, uh, with our new uh, singer uh, guitar player uh, Chris Barris out of the UK. is is becoming a big star over there, and we're really happy for it for him because he's a fantastic guy. Uh, we already did a, a record with him, the live. Uh, record uh, road chronicles was released last summer mm-hmm. but this is the first studio record so uh we're finishing that and it's going to be released sometime in closer to christmas i guess i'm not really sure about the date yet mm-hmm. um worldwide through Moscow label group but i'm also working on my solo project uh, i mean again solo project doesn't mean that i'm doing everything myself even though on some stuff i'm doing most of the music i have a great uh, group of musicians that are playing with me uh, that we generally play out here in los angeles i have uh, the 
fantastic Stephen Perkins uh, of James Addictions, Nine Inch Nails, uh, and Manufactured Screws. Uh, I've got him too. Legacy. Uh, Stephen is just a dear friend of mine, and he's part of my live band. I have the fantastic Derek Day is a young guitar player that is like one of the most mind-blowing guitar players I've ever seen here in Los Angeles. I know this kid since he was 16, and I spotted him on the street in Santa Monica. He was just like, you know, playing on the promenade, you know, doing his thing, and he was playing like and singing like he was playing in front of 10,000 people. And I was just very impressed. So I had to go there and introduce myself. And we started talking and, you know, we became very good friends. And then also uh, Diamond Mix, uh, one of the finalists from uh, American Got Talent and uh, American Idol, insane soul singer. But uh, this is more like my band and it's called Soul Garage Experience. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have a couple of singles coming out uh, during the summer. Uh, for then have a full recording uh, coming out early 2021. And of course, tour from next year uh, followed by supersonic blues machine summer and world tour that was supposed to happen this summer and uh, so that's very 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 important but the other thing that uh, i really would like uh, people to um, put in a little thought in the next couple of days is that i'm a proud ambassador of guitar for vets guitar for vets is a fantastic non-profit organization that helps our veterans, regardless of how you're feeling about the military or war, trust me, I have, you know, I have my own, but that's not the point. The point is the suffering of our brothers and sisters are real. Uh, this month is the celebration, I mean celebration, it's a, uh, yeah, I guess celebration of awareness of a post-traumatic um, stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And as we know, a lot of our veterans are affected by that. I am a poster um, child for that. I've got it bad. <laughs> and, okay, well, so you know what I'm talking about. And yeah. Guitars for Vets actually helps tremendously uh, vets with guitar lessons, music lessons, and equipment. Uh, when people say music heals or the healing power of music, they're not BSing. Maybe they do know this, but it scientifically proves the level of uh, help an improvement uh, of someone's mental health and stability when uh, working on music and dealing with music and, and music lessons. So this is something that it's a, a, an ongoing um, experience for me. There is a lot of great people like uh, that are uh, ambassadors of this. We're putting together a lot of other events for the summer and for the summer for this year and for the years to come. Um, again, the campaign is incredibly successful. Uh, this is the month where we collect donations that could be in terms of money, but also gear. If you have a microphone, a guitar, a bass, a pedal, an, amplifi an amplifier that you won't use or you don't use no more, please, www.guitars4vets.org. You can get all the information over there on how to donate. It really, that helps tremendously. And if you are, I mean, you're in Georgia, but if somebody... Uh, is listening to us here here in California or in the Chicago area tomorrow Saturday the 27th they can do uh, they can drop their donation in person at the local uh, last factor so this is a, a charity that I'm been involved and I'm really really passionate about it because uh, obviously it helps me to help people with what I love most which is music so you know thank you for letting me uh, spend a couple of words on it. I've got a very good friend who he's he's played for years, and uh, he's a firefighter in Augusta. He just retired. His name's Steve Fowler, and he is heavy into the guitars for vets. So um, beautiful. Before you hang up, I want to give you his information too, because I think y'all would get along. 
Absolutely, please. You know, and by the way, for everyone that is out there that wants to follow, you know, what we're doing, both musically, uh, myself and with Guitars for Vets, uh, please uh, um, come and visit my site, www.fabriziograssi.com or um, www.supersonicblues.com and, you know, check us out on, uh, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, the band is obviously on Facebook is Supersonic Blues Machine, uh, while myself is, um, and the uh, same thing as on Instagram, and me is just, uh, you know, Facebook at uh, Rock and Roll Fab, R&R Fab, both on Instagram and on Facebook. So there you can get all the information about what we're doing, both with the, our own music and the programs that we're getting involved with uh, for Guitars for Vets. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Thanks for everything you do. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me do it. And, you know, anytime that you want to have a chat, you know, let's do it. Let's go for it. Absolutely. I have a bunch of friends in Georgia. I love the state. So you bring me, you know, you bring me closer to my friends over there. Hey, when you come down, um, if, when you start touring, you've got to come to Atlanta. I'm about 20 miles south of there. Man, I will feed mm -hmm. you in the band like you have never been fed before. <laughs> oh, cool, man. Actually, uh, then, uh, then I'm going to give you like a little... A little jam on the new Super Sunny Blues Machine. We have a, a since our thing is like we always work with guests and friends, not only on the studio, but we take these friends and guests mm. out on the road with us. Mm. We have a collaborations. We're working on a song that is actually just got finished with one of my dearest friends and one of the best, I think, singer guitar player that you guys have there in the South, who's actually to be Charlie Starr from mm. Blackberry Smoke. Uh, we did the song together. It couldn't be any prouder, and it's definitely sounding. Uh, from uh, <laughs> that is coming from there, and uh, we're looking looking forward to do a bunch of things with him in the band and his band. So hopefully we're gonna have a big big blast in Atlanta. Outstanding, man! I'm looking forward to it. Cool, man! Great. Well, listen, thank you so much, and thank you for your listener, and um, we'll catch up later. I'm gonna give you all my info later. Okay. That'll work. <laughs>